Hello and welcome back to There Was an Idea, a Marvel Cinematic Universe podcast. I'm your host TK, a teacher and pop culture enthusiast. In this episode, that is not my story. I'm joined by fellow podcaster, one half of the Marvelous Madams podcast, Madam Amy. This is part one of our discussion and analysis of Black Widow. If you're enjoying the podcast, you can follow me for updates and behind the scenes extras at anidea underscore podcast on Instagram and Twitter. And please consider leaving a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. Enjoy the episode. Today, I am joined by a very special guest who I am honored to welcome to the show. She is one half of the fantastic podcast, The Marvelous Madams. It's Madam Amy. Thank you for joining me today, Amy. Thank you for inviting me. I am so happy to join you finally after all the ups and downs that we've had. (laughs) Before we tell listeners uh, about your podcast, can you tell us a little bit about you and your relationship to the Marvel Cinematic Universe? Well, I was first introduced to the MCU with Iron Man, and I absolutely loved Tony Stark. But I didn't really follow the MCU too much till the Avengers. Once the Avengers came out, I was 100% on board MCU all the way. And I have followed all the movies since then and obviously the shows. And I've, I like, you know, other people have annual pilgrimages they take. I do annual Marvel rewatches. <laughs> That's fantastic. <laughs> do you always watch in release order or have you experimented with the order? I have so far done release order, but I am planning to, for the next rewatch, do the chronological. But that's getting a bit confusing now, isn't it? It really is. And I was actually just talking about this with uh, with my brother and his girlfriend. So shout out to David and Miranda. We were just talking about how if you want to do a chronological watch, you actually, if you want to do it right, you have to also kind of cut and paste the mid-credits and end-credit scenes, right? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. In fact, I remember seeing this like way back when last year, someone had actually taken all the movies and clipped all the pieces of all of them scene by scene into chronological order. That sounds like so much work, but also that person is is doing it for all of us. That's very cool. Yeah, that person is doing God's work. And (laughs) I think COVID helped a lot with that. Good point. (laughs) that's fantastic i am curious you know you mentioned you love tony stark is he your favorite character do you have some standout characters or standout movies that are your top favorites uh well tony stark was my first love in the mcu and has stayed that way pretty much till till now i would say hella is a second a close second simply because kate blanchett is absolutely amazing have to agree with you there. Yeah. Thor Ragnarok is the queer person's best friend. <laughs> 100%. I had guests uh, Lakshmi and Carolyn on my episode on Thor Ragnarok last year. And uh, also friend of the podcast CH, we've talked a lot about how Thor Ragnarok is the most queer with a capital Q film in the MCU, without a doubt. Absolutely. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> so I found out about your podcast, The Marvelous Madams, on Twitter. And I was immediately drawn to the description, Marvel minus the mansplaining. And I started <laughs> I started listening regularly during your WandaVision run, and I'm a very big fan of your approach. I listen to a number of Marvel podcasts, and there are a couple that I absolutely love that I listen to religiously. And I have to say that you and your co-host, Madam Chris, 
you always offer something fresh, a new way of looking at a scene or a character that I hadn't considered or even heard anywhere else. So can you tell listeners a little bit about how your show came about and what you and Chris do over there? So we start, we met online and we decided to do a Marvel rewatch and that sort of grew into a podcast and that's how The Marvelous Madams was born. So Madam Chris, or Chris, as I say, <laughs> and Chris and I, we wanted to do something different because we've always, we both listen to podcasts and we both love Marvel, but we've always felt like a, a female perspective or a more inclusive perspective has been sort of lacking in those conversations. So we wanted to do something different and bring that about. And this kind of became our calling card of having more female and inclusive perspective for the podcast and so far people seem to like it so yay <laughs> well I certainly like it and I know you recently put out an episode on Loki after the series had wrapped a roundtable discussion on the series as a whole and you brought in a bunch of different women's voices into that conversation. And that was so cool to listen to. And I really, really enjoyed that. Yeah, yeah. We've tried, we are making it a priority to get as many different voices in so that everyone can hear other people's perspectives. And we've been really lucky with having a chance to interview some of the people who've worked behind the scenes in these shows and movies. And uh, the latest one for Loki was Natalie Hold. And in a couple of days, we have an interview coming out with Cece Ice. She was one of the stunt women in Black Widow. And oh, we're really so looking forward to speaking with her. That's very, very, very exciting. I can't wait to listen to that interview. And I thoroughly enjoyed your interview with Natalie Holt as well. It's really special to hear you and Chris bringing in these different perspectives, both from fans who listen to you and also from these creatives who are involved in the process of making this content that we love so much. Thank you. And if it wasn't for our listeners and being able to give us this platform, we wouldn't have a chance to have these people on. And we feel just incredibly lucky to have that opportunity. So we are here today, of course, to discuss Black Widow, a movie that holds a unique place in the MCU for a few reasons. Originally set for May 2020, the film's release was pushed back a total of three times, finally hitting theaters and Disney Plus premiere access on July 9th, 2021. It was meant to usher us into MCU Phase 4 before audiences had seen WandaVision or Falcon or Loki, and I believe the original timeline had Black Widow coming out and then Falcon as the first TV show, which I think is really interesting, actually, because that would have been a much more grounded entry into this phase before opening up more of the multiverse shenanigans with WandaVision and Loki. Do you think that that would have made a, a difference? Like, what do you think the impact of that would have been if we started phase four with Black Widow and then Falcon? Absolutely. I think it would have made a big impact because, for one, we were orig originally supposed to meet Val in Black Widow and then go on and see her in Falcon and the Winter Soldier, which uh, it, has its, it has its 
positives and negatives because knowing who she was in the post-credit scene actually kind of enhances the impact of it. Mm -hmm. But um, I think, yes, having the movie come out first would have helped because these shows have been so amazing in delving deeper into uh, the characters and their psychology behind it, behind their decisions. We've come back to a movie which is about two hours, two hours long. And that kind of almost feels like a step back because we really want to get deeper into these people and their characters. You know, it's more meaty. Yeah, I think that's a really interesting point. And I, I think that you're speaking to a very real reaction that people had to going to see Black Widow, especially in the middle of the run of Loki. So in a way, I wonder if some of the less positive reception around Black Widow, and as I've said already, I absolutely love this movie, and I'm going to speak more to how I genuinely, truly love this film. Um, But Mm -hmm. I'm also trying to take myself out of that a little bit because I know it's not something that everybody unanimously agrees is a masterpiece. That might just be me. (laughs) Um, But I do wonder if some of that, some of the less positive reception around it is due to the fact that it came out during this run of Loki at a time when fans were really ramped up about what's coming next and what's specifically coming next in the cosmic realm and not just the universe, but the multiverse. And then here we have this story that is more grounded and it's more contained and it not only brings us back to an earlier moment on the MCU timeline, but it centers on a character who, you know, first of all, we know is already gone in the current timeline. Yeah. And the actress is likely done portraying her. And then secondly, a character who many people rightfully believe should have had her own solo movie or trilogy of movies years ago. Yeah, true. I, in fact, we discussed this in our in our episode where I think that the timing of this movie has been detrimental to the reception. and. I do think had this movie come out several years ago, when it's actually said to be, it would have been a very different uh, movie and the reaction to it would have been very different. And I also feel like that if this movie would have come out back in 2020, when it originally was supposed to, the hype was so much for it that people would have really loved it, despite the few flaws it does have. I think that because of the delays, the the hype and that anticipation has kind of waned for the movie, which is a shame, really. Yeah, I absolutely agree. I, I'm very much in the camp of I wish it had come out. Well, frankly, like everyone, I wish the COVID pandemic had not happened. <laughs> yeah, um, so I mean, in that's, this, <laughs> that's a given. In this alternate <laughs> timeline where the COVID pandemic didn't happen, if this movie came out in 2020, opening phase four for us, I think it would have been the perfect release. I actually, as much as like many fans of the Black Widow character, as much as I would have loved for her to get her own solo movie or movies a number of years ago, I actually have kind of fallen in the position of the upside of this movie not coming out in, let's say, 2016, is that we Mm -hmm. got the movie that we did. I think we got a much more... I think the movie would have been very different in the hands of any of the directors who were talked about back in 2015, 2016. I know the Russo brothers were interested. Joss Whedon was interested. And these people have made incredible MCU films, don't get me wrong. But to see Black Widow in the hands of Kate Shortland, to 
uh, have Scarlett Johansson's experience with this character. And, you know, say what you will about Scarlett Johansson. I know that she's not universally loved as a, as a figure, but she knows this character so well. And she had that time to really be with Natasha Romanoff and then to step up in this film and be an executive producer. And from what I've read, like really had an influence on what felt real and authentic to the character. And I think that that came out, you know, in 2020, 2019, when this was being produced in a way that it wouldn't have, you know, three, four, five years prior to that. Yeah. And I also think that the fact that we got WandaVision, sorry, the fact that we got Wonder Woman and Miss Marvel before that tells us a lot about building that confidence with the Marvel execs before they greenlit this movie. Oh, yeah. You know, and I think there was a lot of hesitancy with overall, probably with the higher ups with the, at, at Marvel who didn't want to give Scarlett Johansson a movie because they probably thought it wouldn't work. And I will say this, that I feel like Scarlett Johansson's acting in this movie was subpar. She could have done a better job. And I think that's the reason why Florence Pugh really stole the show. She was amazing. This is interesting because I, I've watched this movie a number of times now. And mm-hmm. I, I'm not blown away by Scarlett's perf- performance in the way that I'm blown away by Florence Pugh's performance. And I think that that is something that, you know, universally people walked away from this movie and have fallen in love with Florence Pugh if they weren't already. I was already a little bit in love with Florence Pugh from Midsummer <laughs> and Little Women. And just um, she's in- absolutely incredible. And, you know, just not just her and her performance, but the character Yelena Belova really absolutely stole the show and is a dynamic, charming, funny, wonderful, emotional character, emotional performance. It's interesting to hear your take on Scarlett's acting, because I don't think I had considered it that way. I, I kind of thought of it as the character is a bit more. I don't know, maybe I guess. Now I'm thinking about it as coming down to her acting, and I wonder if there's an extent to which part of the performance feels a bit muted because exactly. because yes. we know where the character is going to end up, because this is, I don't know, There's the, the weight of her death really hangs over this movie in a way that I think is very powerful. I actually think that it makes the movie more kind of tragically beautiful that we know she's going to die, and there are a few moments that when I've watched it with that lens of, oh my God, this is what ends up happening in this character. It really moves me. I wonder Mm -hmm. the extent to which that had an influence on the performance or not. I don't know. Maybe, probably, but I've seen some of her other work and I I felt like the other movies, at least that I've seen, I always felt like there was something missing in her performance Mm. with the exception to probably Jojo Rabbit, which Mm. was an amazing movie all around. Right. But, when I went back and thought about it, I realized that she didn't really have that much to do. And it was more from uh, the boy's perspective. And the biggest thing that we remember of her character, spoilers, if you haven't seen it, she dies. Right, right. And that's the biggest thing that we remember of that character. I think that when Scarlett Johansson was cast as Black Widow, she was perfect for the role because they were looking for this femme fatale, absolutely beautiful, mysterious woman. Mm-hmm. And they got that. 
but Scarlett hasn't been able to keep up with the character's growth. I love Natasha. I would love to see Natasha in all the movies and have multiple movies, but it's Scarlett Johansson's portrayal of her is where I feel that this character is being held back. It's really interesting. And as you said, we know, I mean, that Scarlett Johansson is a is a fantastic actor and, and has done incredible performances in many movies outside of the MCU. And so, yeah, I think you're you're absolutely onto something in terms of, you know, many years ago when Scarlett Johansson was cast as Black Widow, there was this very singular vision as to what the character was, as you said. And I think for her to go through 10 plus years of kind of she as somebody involved in the process not being entirely happy with the way that mm-hmm. the character was written or portrayed by some of the creative teams along the way, because obviously we know there have been many, many changes to Marvel Studios since 2010, I guess, when Iron Man 2 was released, when she was introduced. So I absolutely right. would imagine that that's kind of had an impact on her relationship to the character and on her performances in the hands of the team for this Black Widow movie, it seems like, you know, and, and her involve, involvement as an executive producer, it seems like she, this was the the opportunity for her to have more control into what she would want the character to be. But I wonder if it's almost just a, at conflict with some of the other portrayals of the character and, and her not necessarily being able to have that consistency all along. I don't know. I'm kind of just musing on it out loud. Yeah, yeah. It makes sense. And I just want to, clarify that I don't condone the way they wanted to just make her a sex object. I'm just saying it because it's a factual thing. Absolutely. That they wanted her to be a token woman for all the cheetah-stained white guys to drool over. Yeah, and <laughs> I was about to respond to your comments so seriously, and then it took me a moment for that that, <laughs> that descriptor to, to process. Um, but no, absolutely. And, and I think we've seen this in a lot of different franchises where there are you have a a team and different members of the team get to have different characterization and then Mm -hmm. oh this character is the woman and that's her characterization yes right exactly (laughs) Um, she's the girl on the team and thankfully in the past 10 years that's really really begun to change in huge important ways and so here we have this character who came to be um as the woman on the team in the Avengers. And before that, even her portrayal was not great at all in Iron Man 2, right? Kind of just an object for, for Tony Stark to, to, to look at. Um, not great oh, for yeah, his absolutely. characterization either, right? And so you, you kind of, mm-hmm. uh, we've seen the evolution of the portrayal of women in superhero movies change so much. And so it's, it's really interesting to look at this one character, Natasha Romanoff, and study that evolution from her as a, as a case study. Yeah, absolutely. I think that that's very well put. And even I think the person in charge, like the director or the writers make a big difference as well. Oh, yeah. Like one of the examples I could give was, let's say, Wonder Woman. Uh, before that, we saw her in uh, the DC movie. Um, was it? In just... Batman versus Superman. Oh, yes. And if you noticed her costume like you could practically see that she was nothing 
she was wearing nothing under the skirt. Mm -hmm. Whereas in Wonder Woman, which is directed by a woman, there is a certain amount of covering there. It's not just blatantly, oh, let's look at her ass. Right, right, right. Yeah, and that... You know, so it makes a big difference of the lens. Absolutely. I mean, look at this movie, Black Widow, and the the costumes that Natasha and Yelena fight in are so much more practical than even if if you go back to some of the earlier entries in the MCU, right? That they're, I mean, (laughs) frankly, they are still incredibly attractive um, and you can can be attractive, right? Without it being designed for a particular gaze um, and said, okay, they're wearing boots. It makes sense to wear boots to fight, right? The hairstyles made sense for what it would be (laughs) for them to fight as opposed to um, just being designed in a particular way that, frankly, nobody likes. I mean, that's that's why a lot of fans who are, were looking at characters like Black Widow as just kind of a sexual object, because there there was like that sense of, well, this character doesn't make make sense in in this world. Why would she be wearing heels? Or why would like that doesn't make sense for fighting? How am I going to take it seriously as a fighter? And then that gets tricky too because like there's nothing wrong with femininity <laughs> and embracing femininity. Yeah. Um, there's nothing wrong with being attractive, right? Male, female, or any anybody, right? Absolutely. But I I will say though I I just absolutely to your point about. To your point about the costumes for the Wonder Woman character changing, I, I think the costumes and the styling in Black Widow really speak a lot to that progression as well. Yeah, true. And I think that there was an intention with with Florence Pugh's costume as well, because that is far less sexualized compared to Scarlett Johansson's. Even at, in the Black Widow movie, if you look compare it, Scarlett Johansson's costume, Natasha's costume, is a lot more aesthetically pleasing compared to Florence Pierce. Not that she doesn't look good. I noticed that as well. And I, I think that that's also so powerful, right? Because it allows us to see, well, when you have more than one super powered woman in a movie, there may, <laughs> there yes. may be some of these characters, some women who prefer to wear clothes that are maybe a little bit more uh, tight or feminine or whatever it may be still practical, mm-hmm. right? And there may be other women who prefer to wear looser clothing or something like this, right? So you can actually see the gamut of it, right? And it doesn't have to just be one thing. And this is what's so powerful about Black Panther as well, right? Is that you have a depiction of many different women who play important roles in that film. And so you can see it doesn't have to just be, oh, there's these four male characters and they all have things that are unique about them. Oh, and then there's the woman character and we always expect her to look this one way. Yeah, yeah. So you have in in so many of these movies, you have one token woman character and one token black character. Right. And that's it. Right. And thankfully in Black Widow, that's not the case. We have so many women. And I was so glad to see so many women on screen. Yeah, I agree. And it's an important part of the story, too. There's there's an explicit aspect of the storytelling that is about being a girl and being a woman. And I, I think that's part of why my t- my take is that I am kind of glad that this happened in 2020, 2021, as opposed to 2015, mm-hmm. 2016, because I don't know if the execs at the time, I don't know if, you know, all of the companies and, and people involved would have been so, um, would have let it happen, to be honest. <laughs> yeah, that's the big thing. I think that having these two movies before, one, 
uh, Wonder Woman and Captain Marvel were a big boon for Black yeah. Widow. And let's put it this way. If it was, if this movie had come out five or six years ago, the fight scene that we had towards the end of the movie where these women were really brutally kicking Natasha oh, yeah. would have been more like a hair pulling contest. Mm. Yeah, I'm so glad you mentioned the fighting because the the fighting styles in this film are fantastic. Yeah. (laughs) Um, Yeah, that's a great point, too. It wasn't like, oh, it's a bunch of women fighting. What does that look like? Oh, it's going to be this kind of stereotypical thing. It was a really just intense, brutal fight scene. Oh, yeah, absolutely. It felt real. And I really loved the tone of the movie, which was so gritty and real. It made it feel very grounded. 100%. I agree. Yeah, I mentioned this on my first impressions episode. If anybody wants to go back and listen to that, that was straight out of the movie theater after my first watch. I did a 20 minute here in my first impressions. And I also did an episode with MC You Need to Know that's called Bonus Review Black Widow Quick Reactions um, over on that podcast. So if anybody's curious that hasn't listened to those and wants to, to check those out to kind of hear some of my initial reactions to the film, you can do so. Because today I'm coming into this discussion with you, Amy, having seen it a total of six times. I I went to the theater four times to see Black Widow, three in IMAX and once in 3D, just to see what that was all about. And I watched it twice on Disney Plus. And I I really did want to take some time and and multiple viewings (laughs) before digging into this deeper discussion for the podcast. I really, really love this movie. It it speaks to me on all levels. As you said, I love the tone of it. I love the score. I Earlier today, I was listening to the score again, and I was just reading some of my notes for this podcast discussion. And I it made me tear up. Like <laughs> There's something about this film that just really, really speaks to me. So that's where I'm at with Black Widow. And I'm fully acknowledging that I might have some blinders because I love this That's film fine. so much. So <laughs> I appreciate you coming in and and bringing your take into it, Amy. So I'm curious about mm-hmm. you and your experience <laughs> with this movie. And you already told us a little bit about some of your some of your thoughts. But how many times have you seen this? You just mentioned that you and Chris did your podcast discussion about it. So I know you've already discussed it a little bit. But what are your broad thoughts and general reactions for this film? Well, first off, I'm incredibly jealous of the fact that you were able to see this in the theater. I really wish I could have, but unfortunately I couldn't. I've seen the movie twice and I enjoyed every minute of it. I think the first time I saw it, I was practically salivating at the idea of delving deeper into these deeper subjects of family and the brainwashing that they're going through and just the the family dynamics that they have and the love that they have, but the duty and all of that was amazing. Yeah. Did you have expectations going in that you felt like the movie met, didn't meet or exceeded? I didn't want to. I purposely tried to not keep any expectations when I went into the movie. Mm -hmm. I was just happy to see the movie for one after everything that happened. Yeah. And I had no idea how deep they were going to go into the subject matter. So I had heard because it's it had been a while since the movie had released and I hadn't seen it. So I had heard that they do delve into some deeper topics, but I generally try to keep a more pessimistic outlook so that I don't get disappointed and get pleasantly surprised. 
Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. I know even for myself, like, I was originally so looking forward to Black Widow, so hyped. And then with all of the delays, kind of to what you were speaking to earlier, I had a little bit of that experience of like, okay, when it comes out, I'm going to be excited for it. But kind of, I don't know, my expectations and my hype was tempered a little bit. And I started, you know, obviously getting really into what was currently happening Mm -hmm. with the Disney Plus series. And then the week that Black Widow was coming out, I felt the hype start to happen a little bit again. And I was like, all right, don't get your hopes up too high. But I was really excited for it. And it didn't let me down. I I loved every single minute of it. So if you could boil down, what would you say was your most favorite thing or things about Black Widow? And what on the other end may have been your least favorite? My most favorite was absolutely Florence Pugh as Yelena. And my least favorite would probably be that plot line that they had of severing the nerve uh, by breaking the nose, that just makes no scientific sense. I'm willing to do, what's the phrase? Suspend your disbelief. I'm willing to go with everything else. Yes, thank you. (laughs) (laughs) Willing to suspend my disbelief for everything else. But that kind of felt a bit much. Yeah, the whole pheromonal lock thing was an interesting device. (laughs) What, what What can we do to make it so that she can't hurt him at first? Let's say there's a pheromonal lock. I don't know. I hadn't seen anything like that in other sci-fi movies. Maybe maybe it is, but it was a little weird. So for those of you who are new to There Was an Idea or who haven't listened to one of my movie analysis episodes recently or ever, the approach that we take here is similar to the TV series that instead of going through the movie beat by beat from beginning to end, we organize our discussion of key moments from the film around an analysis of big ideas. So in Black Widow, there was an idea, or really I should say there are ideas about identity and about family (laughs) and about autonomy and choice. So what I want to do, Amy, is talk about those three kind of big buckets of big ideas, identity, family, and autonomy, and organize our discussion of our favorite parts of the film and the most important parts of the film in that way. So I thought that we could start with Natasha's identity story in the film and what it does for her characterization, how it relates to what we already know about her character, and really track her identity story. So so I think the most logical place to start with that is with the first scene in the film where we get some insight into her as a child in Ohio in 1995 opening on her riding her bike with her blue hair. Did you see any significance to the blue hair? Uh, no, it, well, it reminded me of the movie, Blue is the Warmest Color, but besides yes. that, no. <laughs> you know, same. I was thinking to myself, I was like, why does young Natasha have blue hair? And maybe this is a stretch. I will fully admit that this could very likely be a stretch, and they just colored her hair that way just because... But we know that as an adult in the Black Widow films, uh, sorry, in the MCU films, we know that she has red hair and then she dyes her hair blonde, you know, at the end of this film for Infinity War. I think that having her have blue hair as a kid was meant to kind of signal that, I, I don't know, it seemed very much to connect to this idea about choice to me and about individuality and about her kind of like figuring out her own path. Um, a lot of kids who are... 10, 12 years old, I don't know exactly how old she was supposed to be, like might not be allowed to choose a funky hair color. 
Um, we know she's had mm-hmm. this unique experience. So just maybe part of this experience for her of trying to define herself or figure out who she is. Again, I could be making a stretch there, but that's kind of what I was thinking. I also thought of it as because we know Melina and Alexi are both dark ahead, whereas uh, Yelena is a blonde. Mm. So between the combination of that family from a biology perspective, the chances of Natasha being a natural redhead would stand out. And as spies, they probably would want to change that and make it not seem so obvious that they're not all biologically related. So that's probably why she colors her hair. It's a great point. That's a really great point too. Much more practical than what I was thinking and makes a lot of sense. <laughs> it could be what you said too. It, it, you know, that's her form of rebellion. It makes a lot of sense as sure. well. But yeah, you know, this opening sequence I thought was really, really well done. A great way of getting us into the movie and the suspense that's built and the tension that's built and the relationships between these characters is established in just this 15-minute segment at the beginning of the movie in a way that I think was really effective in setting the tone for what we're going to see later. Thinking about just Natasha herself and, and you know learning about her in this movie, there's a few things that stand out in in this opening 15 minutes, I'll say. The face that she makes at the table when Alexi starts talking about the big adventure that today's the day. You know, Yelena has this innocence, is so excited about this adventure. And yet the young actress who plays young Natasha um, Ever Anderson just does, does an incredible job with her her facial expressions of just showing that this is she knows more, right? This is not something that's exciting. And yeah. Melina looks at her and says, I'm sorry. I thought that was really well done. Yeah, you could see the heartbreak yeah. when she found out that this uh this pro this mission was over and she knew what was coming for both her and Yelena, which is really heartbreaking yeah so much maturity that she has too even as a kid here like you know that she's already been through so much and that this respite that she's had of this family life in ohio has probably meant the world to her right to build this relationship with elena and to have this sense of normalcy and i think that's captured incredibly well in the scene well first of all i just have to say the way that they've captured the family is leaving the home. There's a sense of urgency. Alexi telling young Yelena, like, all right, there's fruit roll-ups in the car, right? Like, there's this urgency. The music is building the tension. It's like dusk when they get in the car and they start driving away. And it's just, you have that feeling of, like, it feels like this summer night. They have the American flag on the on the um, porch. And I just, the attention to detail and the way that the scene kind of establishes the feeling, I think, is just so well done. And then they're driving and now it's dark. And when Yelena asks for the song American Pie, that scene just it just blows me away. And look, thinking at it specifically from the perspective of Natasha, how she looks out the window at the football game and just the sense of longing. And I think you put it perfectly like the sense of heartbreak is so clear in that scene. Yeah, absolutely. And I find it interesting that they take the quintessential American experiences, at least from what I've seen in the movies, like football, and you have the flag, and you have the flag right yeah. on the porch, as well as on the bridge. Yes, lit up. It is signaling to her that she's leaving this world, 
And of course, American Pie is American Pie. It's a wonderful song and it's a bit on the nose. It is very, it's very on the nose. It works, it works so well for me. And then of course, you know, it's reprised later in the film. And I'm actually putting out an episode next month about some of my favorite music moments in the MCU. And I'm going to speak more to what I think works about that particular choice. And, and specifically in that scene, each character is relating to that song in a different way in that moment. A really interesting moment to consider, like, here are these four people in this car and who knows what? They all know something slightly different than the other. And it's just a really, really cool moment. Yeah, and I think that's a perfect allegory to how we as people relate to media as a whole. Like your perception of one particular moment would be very different from mine, as we've seen so far in this conversation. (laughs) And that's the beauty of it. Yeah, absolutely. We also get some important details with Natasha in this opening. You know, the fact that she helps Melina co-pilot the plane. We can kind of see, again, she's very young being thrown into these situations where she really needs to step up and show that strength and that maturity. And we have, you know, Melina telling Yelena earlier that pain only makes you stronger. And then, you know, Yelena echoing those words back to her mother figure when Melina gets shot. It's just a really, really powerful stuff. And importantly, we also have Melina telling Natasha, never let them take your heart once they arrive in Cuba. And Natasha stepping up to defend Yelena, grabbing the gun off of the soldier and threatening to shoot everyone. I mean, that was really shows us that she's already very powerful. Yeah, absolutely. She is incredibly powerful and she's clearly had a lot of training because she wouldn't have been able to take over the the plane or do any of this if she had it. Exactly. And I also think that these three years that she had in Ohio were the defining years for her because had she not experienced this and been so closed off in the red room and that sort of mindset that they grow up in she wouldn't have ever felt like there was a way out and maybe that's that would have never led to Natasha ever joining shield and becoming a part of the avengers i think that's a great point i think it's a really really important point and the age that she was at too right like yelena was younger when she had those three years in Ohio. Natasha was a little bit older and you can tell that it really had that that impact on her. Yeah, like even from personal experience for me, I've grown up in a very uh, abusive family and my brother got married. I was about I was 14 at the time and she came into my sister-in-law came into the family and I didn't know that there was another way to be in Mm. a family that a family member could be loving and caring and actually want to be with you so when she came in and she was like an older sister to me and a friend it opened my eyes and it was a really defining time in my life and that's the reason why I am who I am today wow yeah that's really powerful thank you for sharing that and I think that we absolutely see that represented well in this film too, right? That having love, right? Having family, having these positive influences 
especially if if it's something that you know Natasha had hadn't known prior to that absolutely shapes who she becomes she even tells Melina later in the film right what you taught me kept me alive and oh yeah I think that's for me you know part of what was so powerful about seeing this movie was thinking about how we hadn't had that insight into her character before and you know we've already kind of spoke about some of the ups and downs in the portrayal of Natasha in the MCU films up to this point. Mm -hmm. And I think that it was really, really so important to get this insight into this character to see how she became the, the Avenger (laughs) that she, that she is. When I've talked about a lot of the other solo superhero movies and talked about identity, I kind of looked at, you know, to what extent is Tony Stark different from Iron Man, right? To what extent is Peter Parker different from Spider-Man? Are those two different identities that sometimes are in conflict with each other and need to, there needs to, you, they need to find a, a balance. They need to find some marriage. Uh, Tony Stark deals with this in Iron Man 3, right? With the suits, like, is he the suit? Like, does the suit make him? This whole kind of thing, right? And I was thinking about right. with Natasha's story here in Black Widow. This is not the story of how she became Black Widow. This is not the story of even who Black Widow is as a superhero. It's really a story about Natasha and Black Widow being a term that it's not like this inspiring, like, I am Iron Man or come on, Spider-Man, right? It's it's like a very much a term that was put on her, not out of her own choice if that makes sense maybe something that she's reclaimed a bit but the movie doesn't really delve into the term itself at all really and I kind of thought that that was interesting too yeah absolutely we've had so many origin stories for all these superheroes but with Natasha it's not an origin story this is not the story of how Black Widow came to be like you said it is about Natasha and I think this movie helps us transcend beyond the Black Widow Monica. This is about yes. seeing the human being. Yes. And yes. Because, and I think that also tells us so much of how her character has been seen by the MCU. At first, it was all Black Widow. Natasha was just Black Widow. And she was this sexy woman and femme fatale mysterious, et cetera, et cetera. And as the years have gone by, we've seen more of Natasha. And this movie finally makes us step away from Black Widow. Even though the name of the movie is Black Widow, it is more about Natasha, the person, and how she died as Natasha, not Black Widow, the hero. You're putting words to thoughts that were kind of swirling around my brain in a really articulate way. So thank you for that. She, on her gravestone that we see at the end credits of this film, right? Natasha Romanoff, and it says daughter, sister, Avenger, right? The identity of Avenger is something that comes up a lot in this film, but Black Widow is not her. Like she, she says to Yelena later on in this movie, she says, that's not my story. And right. And I just hearing Scarlett Johansson deliver that line. I think it's one of my favorite lines that she has in this film. And of course, Jelena follows it up with what is your story? And that's what this movie is about. Everything that we may have heard before, or a lot of what's been presented to us already, like that's not her story, right? What is her story? What's the story that 
is the Natasha story. And I think the movie is really only called Black Widow for branding purposes, you know? Yeah. It's, it's just, it's really interesting to to think about, to think about that compared with a lot of the other heroes that we know. Um, yeah, true. It's a very different, different style of storytelling for her compared to the other superheroes because she isn't a superhero. Right. And to just look at a couple of other moments that connect to that, when she says to, when she says to Ross, you know, I lived a lot of lives before I met you, right? That's It's also kind of telling the audience, like, hmm, that there's more to this character than what we've seen as, quote unquote, Black Widow. So Yeah, absolutely. And I know, you know, some people said that they hoped that there, there would be more of her experiences in the Red Room, more of that origin story. And I I don't agree with that. I mean, not that I would say no to more stories about Natasha or Black Widow. But I what I love about this film so much is that it does take place on the timeline in which based on the films that we've seen, we already know who the character is because it's that way of kind of going going deeper and getting that more backstory without it being entirely a prequel to anything that came before, if that makes sense. Yeah, that's true. And also because we know how brutal the Black, the Red Room program is and creating, I'm using the word creating of for Black Widows because they're literally just breaking these young girls down and making them into killing machines yeah. it would have been exploitative and if they would have gone in a, a lighter way of look how awesome they are and that's that's how awesome Natasha is it would have done an injustice to her character and if they would have gone in a more darker grittier way like this movie has been it would have been too dark for an MCU movie. Yeah, I think that's a really good point. Seeing the story of the Black Widows being broken, right? The Black Widows being made uh, would not have felt empowering. It would have felt very much like what the opening credits feel like, which is haunting and terrifying, very real, echoes, unfortunately, very real things that happen in our world. And was something that it, the, the opening credits are beautiful and so sad and so upsetting to watch. I mean, what did what did you think that first time you saw this movie and that opening credit scene hits with the cover of Smells Like Teen Spirit and the quick flashes of the cartoons and the girls watching TV and the shooting and the pigs and the surgeries? Like, what, what did you make of all that? Well, first of all, I loved the, the cover. Oh yes. The song was absolutely beautiful and it Agreed. fit perfectly. I thought that it was really well done. It reminded me a lot of those thriller movies that we get, like The Born Identity and stuff, where mm. we get so much information in the credits without anyone actually saying anything. And I think that this entire cold open that we get along with the credits reminded me a lot of the show The Americans. I have not. Have you watched the show? No. Okay. If you're interested in like a darker, serious show, you would absolutely love it. It's basically, we have Matthew Reese and Kerry Russell. They are a Mm. couple uh, and they're Russian spies. They live in the United States in during the Cold War in the 1970s and 80s, if I'm not mistaken. And they are living as a, a a married couple, they have biological children, unlike in the Black Widow series okay. where, where these kids were pretending to be their 
parents, the, the parents were pretending that they were these kids and they are doing their spy stuff on the side. Like they, on, on the surface, they look like the perfect American family with two kids and a loving husband and wife and all of that. But there's a deeper underbelly to this family where they're, you know, they're doing espionage and there's this real tension of them being caught and they've done it this move and the show's done so superbly that even though we know they're russians and we don't want them to win we still root for them that sounds fascinating yeah it's a wonderful show and even if your listeners haven't watched it and if you're looking for something really serious to really sink your teeth into this is a perfect show cool Uh, thanks for the recommendation i'm definitely gonna put that on my list Uh, let me know how you like it when when, whenever you do get get around to it (laughs) i will absolutely that sounds great yeah so thinking about natasha's character development and identity story in the movie you know i we could probably talk about each and every single scene here but I want to jump ahead hey, I'm gay. to, <laughs> and I think what we'll what we'll do is when we kind of talk more about family and autonomy later, we'll circle back to some of the same scenes and to some of the scenes that we we jumped over a little bit. But the next part that stands out in terms of like a Natasha, in terms of the Natasha story, strictly, because um, I do want to talk about her interactions with Elena and, and everything about Budapest in a little bit, but. Mm-hmm. When they are talking about what happened with Dreykov's daughter and the flashback to younger Natasha and her her telling Yelena, I needed to be sure. And Yelena's like, well, you're not sure, right, that Dreykov was dead. And Natasha just says, I needed out, right? And it's kind of her way of exposing that her desire to join S.H.I.E.L.D., to go west, as she puts it later, her her desire to leave the red it wasn't just a desire right it was a need like it's brought up in in um in loki right like you want it she needs it that it was something that was so intensely important that she was willing she's a good person we know she's a good person with a good heart but she uh, was in this position where she saw Drakov's daughter as being what she called collateral damage and she needed that out and i i thought that was very revealing as well Yeah, and I think it also shows us how much she's grown since then. Because in this movie, even after the other widows have attacked her, and uh, we see this later on when this widow has fallen down and she's broken her leg, and Natasha goes up to her and tells her, it's okay, I want to help you, before Dreykov ends up making her kill herself. It shows us her growth and how being in shield and having a closer relationship with steve has helped her step away from that programming of the red room yeah because natasha yes she wanted to get out she needed to get out but she had she obviously wasn't happy about killing a young girl but she was willing to take the step i'm not sure that the natasha that we saw in endgame would have taken that step. Exactly. I think that's a really important distinction. And I agree with you that I think Steve Rogers was a big inspiration and influence on on Natasha once she did become part of the Avengers. And I, I love the friendship between those two characters. And I see a lot of similarities between where Natasha ends up 
and where and and, and Steve that self-sacrificial nature and I think that we see even by the end of this movie right that she is not going to let Antonia just get destroyed in the cell and she does let her out even knowing that under the taskmaster protocol she's going to hunt her down and and keep fighting her I think it speaks so much to, as you're saying, the influence that joining the Avengers family really had on her development and the way that she sees herself. And she's not just this black widow that fulfills missions, right? Even the uh, getting rid of Dreykov was obviously something important and a worthy cause, but something that she did to fulfill this mission to S.H.I.E.L.D., right? S.H.I.E.L.D. needed her to do that, to prove that she was uh, deflecting from the red room and it doesn't have to just be about the missions anymore is kind of where we see her character evolve into yeah absolutely we also see her mindset changing about just being a killing machine like we've seen her say that in the previous avengers movies and now with yelena she said you know i'm not a kidding machine but yelena was the one who said i'm not the uh, what was the phrase in? Yes. Um, um, at the gas station when she says, I, I'm not the hero. Uh, I'm not the. Um, I'm not the killer that little girls call their hero. Yes. Thank you. Such a powerful moment. That That's really, really stands out. I mean, you get that insight into, you know, <laughs> when Yelena's kind of teasing her about her fighting pose and all of this, right? Like, like Natasha yeah. says, I was trying to do something good to make up for all the pain and suffering we caused, trying to be more than just a trained killer. And Yelena says, you know, pain and suffering is every day. We're both still a trained killer, except I'm not the one that's on the cover of a magazine. And the first time that she said that line, I'm not the killer that little girls call their hero, I was like, damn, that is the standout line of this movie to me. And I've obviously watched it a bunch of times since. And that line says so much about... Yes, it's Yelena saying it, but it speaks to that internal conflict that Natasha has, that she's wanting to wipe out, right, make up for her past. And I think that there's always this sense with Natasha that is it ever going to be enough? Oh, yeah, absolutely. And it also gives us an insight into this is Yelena's journey just starting. Yeah, which I'm so excited for as well. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. I already mentioned, you know, the conversation they have a little bit later when Natasha says, that's not my story. And Yelena says, mm -hmm. what is your story? She says, I never let myself be alone long enough to think about it. Yeah, girl needs therapy. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Like <laughs> most of her friends on the Avengers, right? <laughs> they they all have been oh, through yeah, so much, right? Wanda, Bucky, right? Like these people have been through so much trauma. Yeah, they need to get bulk therapy discount prices and just go in all one after the other. The Avengers special. <laughs> yes. <laughs> we learned some more about Natasha's backstory in this film as well regarding, you know, she always believed that she was abandoned by her biological parents. And we find out here when Melina tells her her real story that as an infant, Natasha was selected by a program that was choosing babies for their genetic potential, which is interesting. Uh, I guess that helps to explain a little bit why, even though she's not a superhero, like a superhuman, that she is able to do these um, 
these feats that sometimes defy gravity and physics and whatever else. Yeah, yeah, um, absolutely. And on top of that, I mean, of course, all of the training and uh, conditioning that she, I don't even want to say experienced, it suffered at the Red Room, you know, turning her into this master assassin. So obviously she has the, the fighting skills, but I think sometimes some of her her... Some of the skills that she show maybe skirt the line into being a little bit superhuman. So maybe they kind of explain that away a little bit by saying, okay, from the time that she was an infant, she had this kind of higher genetic potential, whatever that might mean. Yeah, that makes sense. And I think that we, I, I think that in this movie, they make it a point to show us that she actually is wearing padding. Yes. Especially for the shoulders. So that probably helps. Not that falling 20,000 feet would help with the shoulder pad, <laughs> but yeah. <laughs> it's something. They, yeah, they're making an effort to, to show it a little bit. Um, so yeah, mm-hmm. we find out that her, her biological mother didn't abandon her in the way that Natasha had always believed. So that's kind of uh, an important moment for her as well. Yeah, and that must have played a big part in her mind growing up that self-loathing of even my mom couldn't love me right right absolutely and now here she is and in this film we get to see that she you know she is experiencing different different versions of love and relationships you know another line that i thought was really beautiful when and this kind of gets more into that theme of choices being taken away from people and we'll get more into that in a little bit but when Natasha and Melina are having that conversation and Melina asks, you know, why does a mouse born in a cage run on that little wheel and kind of explain some of her own uh, breaking at the hands of the Red Room, Natasha Boy. says, you're not a mouse, Melina. You were just born in a cage, but that's not your fault. And then, you know, Melina says to her, how did you keep your heart? And Natasha says, pain only makes us stronger. What you taught me kept me alive. You know, that is an extreme moment of vulnerability from Natasha and wisdom from Natasha that I think really does show um, the consistency of that she has always believed in doing good and being better, but also the growth in uh, some of her own sense of some things aren't your fault and some things are. Um, So she's kind of giving that forgiveness to Melina in a way here uh, without openly saying that, right? And then also it, it kind of corresponds with her on this journey of forgiving herself. Yeah, absolutely. And I also think that for Melina, it was a light bulb moment because how many times have we been stuck in a situation, whether it's personal or professional, and we're trying to get out of it or we're trying to solve a particular problem and we just can't because we're stuck in our own heads and somebody else comes in and gives us uh, an outsider's perspective or just a small idea, a throwaway comment and suddenly, boom, your entire perspective changes. Yeah. And that's, I think, the thing that that was the key moment for Melina to change her mindset and change from, oh, the oh the Red Room has been alerted and they're going to get arrested and, and they're going to get caught to, I need to help you. Yeah, I think that that's a wonderful point that that moment right there is is really the impetus for for Melina's change of heart. I hadn't explicitly yeah. considered it in that way. I, I think, but I think that that's absolutely right. That's the moment she says to her that sh- that she had already alerted the red room with that sense of almost like defeat. Yeah, beautiful stuff. And and yeah. ag- again, like just Natasha's line, like you're not a mouse, like it's not your fault. I mean, this the 
power um, of hearing that would be so huge for Melina in that moment. Yeah, and just the idea of, yes, she can change. Yeah. And she can change her situation. Uh, I'm not sure, but I remember reading this uh, this article a long time ago where baby elephants are tied up to a rope and uh, to a pole with, with a piece of rope. And they, because the children, because the small, they don't have the strength to break that rope away. Mm. But even once they're fully grown, they once they get tied up with the rope to that particular pole, they never try to even break away mm. because in their mind, they still think that they can't. Right. Which from an outsider's perspective, like if you and I look at that, we think, how is this person controlling an elephant with a rope? But it's just about that mindset. You just accept your situation. And that's what, what that's what happened with Melina. Yeah. And she said so. She went through this entire Red Room cycle four times. That would break anybody. Yeah. Yeah. The, I think I think that's incredibly powerful. And I, I do think that story about about the elephants is so relevant here. It's a really powerful metaphor of the rope there. And in this case, they use the cage, right? But it's a kind of a similar, similar thing. Yeah. It's that sense of learned helplessness and yeah. you can't get away. And we do continue to see growth for, for Natasha toward the end of the film. As I already mentioned, uh, she lets Taskmaster or Antonia out of the cell that she's locked in. She says, I'm going to open that door. You're going to come after me. It's okay. I know you're still in there and I'm not going to leave you, right? You can see now. This is, I think, very much more of the uh, Steve Rogers <laughs> type of mentality of we're not sacrificing anybody here. We yeah. are not going to say that it's okay for if it's in the interest of the greater good, right? She's going to fight to make sure she saves her, especially because, again, this is, as Drakoff says, right, her haunted past of, you know, the choice that she had originally made about Drakoff's daughter. Of course, important, powerful that when she does give Antonia the antidote, right, that she immediately apologizes, right? I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Yeah. Yeah. And it would have been easy for her to let Taskmaster just stay there and wash yeah. her hands off it because yeah. she's already been carrying the guilt of, of killing this child, this little girl for so many years what what does it matter now because at least her in if you want to justify it you could say that at least her misery is over yeah yes but but she's not doing that and in this scene we see that natasha is not a superhero but she is a hero yeah. in the truest sense of the word 100 percent. yes Yes, 100%. And and the type of hero that I, you know, I've mentioned this before when I've been speaking specifically about, about Steve Rogers, that that's the type of hero that I think is so uh, personally resident to me. And, and I think why this movie really inspired me so much is, is to see the actions that Natasha's taking here, the choices that she makes and what that says about her. And, you know, <laughs> I don't know why I'm laughing because this actually made me cry earlier today when I was thinking about this. But at the end, then, once they've landed on the ground and the family is standing around and 
the widows came back for them. And, you know, Yelena kind of has her moment. Melina just looks at Natasha and says, take care of yourself, right? You take care of yourself. And Natasha says, don't worry, I got this. And Melina just looks at her and goes, I know. It's such a simple moment there. But reading it as these two women who, you know, it was a mother-daughter relationship in ways. And then it kind of flipped the script, right? And we have, as you were saying, Natasha kind of teaching Melina something. And they have this connection. And it was a really simple moment of like, don't worry, I got this. I know. Hearing that with the knowledge of what Natasha does next and all of the heroic actions she continues to take in Infinity War and Endgame, the way she does end up sacrificing herself and dying in the end, like that moment just really gets me. Like if this film comes out without the knowledge of where that character ended up, it wouldn't have hit that hard. It would just kind of be a small moment. But knowing that, I don't know, just don't worry, I got this, doesn't mean I'm going to be safe. It doesn't mean I'm going to live. It doesn't mean, right, like we're all going to be together again. Like this was likely the last time they saw each other. But it was, don't worry, I got Probably. this, right? And so it just really yeah. hits me really, really hard. Um, and of course, the last whistle between her and Yelena as well. Like, was that the last time they saw each other? I mean, probably, right? Especially if they got dusted. And and maybe we'll find that out. Yeah, that's something that I am looking forward to see if Yelena or any of the others. I'm not sure if we'll get to see uh, Melina or Alexi again, but Yelena for sure. I yeah. <laughs> I do want to know if she was dusted or not and how that impacts her perception of what happened with Natasha. Yeah, I'm really, really eager to see what happens with that as well. And it, it, this is just so, so heartbreaking. Um, the <laughs> This movie ends you know, before the end credits scene. It ends with Natasha really confidently walking toward that jet and saying my whole life I didn't think I had a family and turns out I have two and she's going to see if she can patch things up with the Avengers and it's just like this moment of this experience that she had in this film and reconnecting with this other family of hers has had such a powerful impact on her and who she is and it's so sad knowing knowing what um what the fate of the character turns out to be and yet it's also it's just very beautiful and 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 very inspiring uh, to know that she made the choices that she did. Yeah, it is. And I think that going through these experiences that she did with this family in Black Widow gave her the strength to go and sort things out with the Avengers because she always has had that feeling of abandonment yeah. from her biological parents. And then Alexei at in Cuba basically telling her, okay, I'm done with you. Go away. Bye-bye it all adds up. So for her to get that approval from her parents and for Yelena to seek her out in this way and want to be a family again, did wonders for her self-confidence to be able to go and make things right for the Avengers. Yeah, absolutely. And for her to kind of redefine for herself what her role on a team might be, what her role in a family might be. And I think yeah, this, this is yeah. a, a good transition into maybe talking about the the second overarching big idea here. Obviously, there's a lot of overlap, but this idea of family and mm-hmm. how she relates to Melina, Alexi, and Yelena here and how she relates to the Avengers and what this movie says about 
her relationship to the Avengers. Hey there, everyone. Just a quick note to say that the reason why this episode ends a little bit abruptly is that about halfway through my conversation with Amy, she and I realized that we were having such a good time talking about Black Widow that the conversation was probably going to last a lot longer than we had anticipated originally. So I made the decision to divide this episode into two parts. Part two will pick up with our discussion of this second big idea of family. And you don't have to wait a whole week to hear it. Additionally, it's worth mentioning that Amy and I had our discussion about Black Widow right before we found out about Scarlett Johansson's lawsuit against Disney for the breach in contract over the release of Black Widow. So we did not comment on it in part one or part two. In fact, after recording the episode, I checked my phone to see a bunch of messages that I had missed and friend of the show Daniel, among other people, had sent me the news. I can't speak for Amy, but personally, my feeling is that a contract is a contract and that employees have the right to be compensated fairly for the work that they do. And I certainly hope that Scarlett Johansson and the other actors who may have been affected by changes in methods of release are compensated fairly in some manner to make up for what was lost. I think this will set an important precedent moving forward into a world in which more blockbuster films may be released on streaming services moving forward. If you enjoyed this conversation about Black Widow, you can follow the podcast at anidea underscore podcast on Instagram and Twitter. Madam Amy's podcast, The Marvelous Madams, is at Marvel Madams on all social media. Artwork was designed by Brooke Pender, who you can follow at Pender Illustrations on Instagram. And music by Demeter Savia, who you can find on Bandcamp. Thank you for listening and stay tuned for part two of this discussion about Black Widow. <laughs>